Okay, so um, I've got, uh, this is it's a, bit, a lot of stuff. So if you're a note taker, make sure your pen works. There's going to be tons of scripture. Um, let me quickly recap last week and give you a couple disclaimers, and then we'll get started. So last week we started a series called Umbrella, and um, we said that God's always had a plan to cover us, and I know that, you know, you're, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, we have a whole three more weeks of this. How much is he going to open that umbrella every week, every single week, right? So um, if I can, here we go. That is intense every single time, isn't it? So we talked about this umbrella last week, right? And we said, um, who is the umbrella? Okay, Jesus, God, we had a lot. Okay, so let's say Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is the umbrella, right? We talked about stepping under the umbrella is kind of salvation. And then last week what we said was if we want God's protection, we have to trust his direction. Because Isaiah 55, 9, does anybody remember that off the top of your head? says um, his ways and his thoughts way higher than ours, right? So um, the way I said it last week was that when, when I want, when God zigs, I usually want to zag, right? So he goes that way, and I want to go that way. And so if I want the protection, I have to trust his direction and eventually step under the way he's going instead of trying to convince him to go the way that I'm going. Is, is that good? Okay, so you remember all that? Good. We'll just lay the umbrella there for a second. Now, um, this week, this is a little harder, okay? Full disclaimer, this week and next week, pray for me, right? These are hard. These are you know, kind of hard messages to, to, to deliver. Not because, like, I'm scared of y'all. They're just hard. They're just um, weighty, right? So last week, when we're talking about Jesus being the umbrella over us, that is direct authority from God. You understand? Like, it's direct authority but just like there's direct authority from God, there's also delegated authority from God. And that gets a little harder, okay? So a um, couple disclaimers, and then we'll jump into some scripture. In this room are people who have had or maybe actually do have, and if you do have this and they're sitting here, don't look at them right now. Bad bosses, right? Right? Why, why are the, why is the, the church, why are y'all looking at me like that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we, some of us have all had bad bosses. Um, some of us have had, some of us have had bad pastors. Um, some of us have had bad teachers. Some of us, spouses, that relationship's tough. Some of us, believe it or not, we've sat under power-hungry leaders who abused us. And that makes this even harder, right? Because all of us, I'm going to say all, have probably experienced leaders over us who have tried to manipulate us, who have tried to command us, you know, like, I'm bigger than you, you'll do what I say. Like, we've all experienced to some degree that. And so because we all have that experience, then when we start to talk about God's delegated authority and our responsibility according to Scripture and how we interact with delegated authority, you can understand, like, for me right now, my heart is beating a, a thousand miles a minute because I, I get that. And I get the weightiness of here's another leader saying what Scripture says 
And holy cow, what do we do with that? So we bring, uh, can we at least be honest enough to say that we bring a lot of baggage to this message? Is that okay? Just turn to the person next to you and say, check that baggage. Okay. Because we do bring a lot of baggage, all right? So the good news is, if there is good news here, the good news is that we're in good company. And, and here's, here's why. We're going to read a ton of Scripture today. And I don't want to say all the Scripture because I'm not, I mean, I don't know all, I don't know everything. But I'll at least say almost all, if not all, the Scriptures that we're going to read today were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by men who were under bad leaders. Okay? We don't typically think about that. But they were under bad leaders. So they understand, the, the word understands, right? And then second, this is the biggest disclaimer I have. I know that I'm standing here on the platform, and it's my job to teach you. But in this matter, I'm a journeyer just like you. I read the same Bible you read. I promise you I have wrestled with scriptures we're going to read way more than you will right now. So I'm, I'm not an expert in this, but I will say that God has taken me to school in this area a lot in my life, right? And so there are some things in this area that we have lived out, and I'll share some of that with you as we go through the message. But I'm in, I am in no way, shape, or form coming to you preaching hard and loud and pointing a finger and like, you better. Um, <laughs> even so much so that, um, you know, at some point we're going to talk about like, churches and pastors, I, I didn't plan this to be on Pastor Appreciation Sunday. That, that's not even, I mean, it wasn't even in my head. I'm not even thinking that way. This is not like, you better do this because I said so. And I'm saying that because some of us have been in churches with leaders like that. And can we just, man, if we could just start this morning by saying, God, we recognize that those leaders were probably doing the best they knew. So at least we're not sitting here all angry and mad about it, but recognize that they were doing what they knew to do. But here we are today, and let's just talk about how does God see us interacting with delegated authority. So here we go. If, if you write, write down message titles, today's title is called um, Bad Bosses and a Good God. Here we go. In the kingdom, there are, there's direct authority. That's Jesus, right? There's direct authority. We talked about that last week. It's, um, so for us, that would be Jesus, and it would be his word because the word was made flesh, right? So we talked about, like, we read verses we don't necessarily like. We, we don't get the choice to say, well, we'll cut that out, right? We have to deal with that. That's direct authority. There's also delegated authority. Just want to make sure that you get this. Jesus is the direct authority. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every, everybody say every, every ruler and authority. He is the umbrella, okay? But there are also delegated authorities in all of our lives. I only have two hands, so I'm going to need a little bit of help here. Can I get a couple of people to come help me? Just a couple or one. Can I just get one? Are you coming again, Lizzie? Come on over here. Lizzie's making a return trip up to the stage as God. Thank you so much. I, th I think you're even more eager this week to be God. I don't know. So, But you were a great God. So 
He's a great God. Okay, so there you go. You got that? Perfect. Okay, so what I want you to see this morning is that there are umbrellas under the umbrella. Okay? Is that rain? Y'all. Wow, that's awesome. Bam! Check it out. Love it. So apparently if there's ever a drought, we just need to start preaching about umbrellas. Okay, how high can you get that umbrella? Oh, that's good. You're, that's really good. Okay, so what I want you to see, you're good. No, keep it up there. Keep it up there. You're good. I feel bad commanding God. What I want you to see is that there are umbrellas under the umbrella. Okay? Now, if I had a lot of hands and a lot of umbrellas and they could get smaller and smaller and smaller, we could put a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of umbrellas under this big umbrella all the way down to the umbrellas that go in drinks that we're not supposed to have. Okay? With me? <laughs> Turn to the person and she say, that might have been for you, right? It might have been for you. Um, so the point here is that it's not just Jesus. And we act like it is. We talked about that in our Selfish series, right? If it was just God, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be easier if it was just God? Everybody say, that's a lie. You know how I know? It was just God when it was Adam and Eve. And they blew it. So it's not true that if it was just God, we'd have it easier. There's umbrellas under the umbrella, okay? There are a lot of umbrellas under the umbrella. Thank you so much, God. You did great. Give God a hand. We have a lot of umbrellas on the stage, don't we? I am actually giving God a hand. Mic drop right there. <laughs> so good. That's why I'm so glad you're in our church. So um, lots of umbrellas under the umbrella. So I hope you kind of get that visual. So here's a few umbrellas that are under the umbrella. Um, we'll start with the easy ones. Family, church, workplace. Last one. There's probably more, but civic government. Okay. So these are all umbrellas under the umbrella. But what I want you to see, and this is a hard truth, I don't have all the answers, but it's in Scripture, that God placed those umbrellas there. Psalm 75, 7. It is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. He, God, controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. Romans 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Now, the word placed in the Greek, here's what it means. It means to assign, to appoint, to ordain, to order. Basically, it means it's not accidental. It means that God's not sitting back going, well, let's see what happens. He has a plan, and he ordains and places umbrellas under the umbrella in our lives. If you're like me, that can cause a lot more questions than answers. And it's okay, all right? It's okay. 
the biggest question would be why. You ever ask God, like, if, if, you are, if you're putting people in positions of authority, why would you put people in positions of authority when they're not godly? You ever ask God that? I ask him that all the time, usually when I'm on Twitter, right? Why, God, why would we have leaders who are obviously, like, you're saying that leaders could be God-placed but not godly. And I guess that's true, right? Because we see it all the time. Recognizing, listen, here's something important. If we recognize this God flow, so if there are umbrellas under the umbrella and God has placed those umbrellas, I know this, this is going to mess with, your, with our American Christianity, right? Because I know what you're thinking right now, but I went and voted for that person. Or I didn't. I thought my candidate won. Well, according to Romans 13, God has a plan, right? I'm not saying don't vote. We should definitely vote. That's our right and responsibility. But God's placing people in positions of authority for a reason. One of the reasons is that we would recognize the delegated authority so that we would open our lives up for blessing. Quickly, let me show you this. Matthew chapter 8, verses 9 through 10. Y'all good so far? Okay, good. My heart's slowing down a little bit. Here we go. Matthew chapter 8, verses 9 through 10. This is what a man said to Jesus when um, he asked Jesus to heal his daughter. And, his, and he said this, I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. And I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And I say to the slaves, do this, and they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Now, just side note, it's pretty impressive when Jesus hears you say something, and he's amazed, right? So that, that alone should make us take note of this passage. That somebody said something to Jesus that made Jesus go, whoa. Turning to those who were following him, he said this, I tell you the truth. I have not seen faith like this in all Israel. Jesus marveled at this man's faith because this man recognized that there's a flow to authority. So he looks at Jesus and says, I don't need you to come to my house. Because I know that if you just say the word, the sickness that has my daughter has to come up underneath your authority. I don't need you to come. You don't have to come. And I know this because in my life, I'm in the military, and and I've got people over me, and I've got people under me, and I understand the flow of authority. And I just say, do it, and they do it. So if you'll just say, do it, it'll go. And that blew Jesus' mind. Now, it's not about power. It's about authority. Okay? Just to make sure you get the distinction, a humongous 18-wheeler Mack truck. Does it have power? I think it has power. That was an easy question. Does it have power? Yes. So it could run over the police officer who has their hand out. But the truck driver probably wouldn't do that because the police officer has what? Authority. It's about authority, not about power. And the reason that we struggle with this teaching is because we've We've been under leaders who were power hungry. And so they wanted to control us, not influence us. But the authority, according to Scripture, is there to 
we, it has influence over us. There's authority, not power. And so when Jesus recognized, he's like, holy cow, this man gets it. He recognizes how authority works. And it blew Jesus away. In all of Israel, he said, I've never seen faith like this. So we need to recognize the delegated authorities, and then we need to understand how to respond to the delegated authorities. Okay, so we've officially reached the hard part of the message. And here's why it's hard. Because our response, how we respond, reveals our heart. Say, ouch. It's okay. How we respond to delegated authority actually reveals our heart. Romans chapter 13. Let's go back there. This is a very, um, Romans 13 is, just, is a good chapter for you guys just to marinate on this week, right? Here's what it says in verses 4 through 7. Let me just read it and then we'll make some observations. Verse 4, the authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They're serving God in what they do. Verse 7, give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Verse 4, just a couple of things to note. Verse 4, twice Paul says that they're God's servants. He says it again in verse 6. Verse 4 again, they're sent for our good. They're sent to correct us. Verse 5, Paul tells us that our response is to submit to them. And then he says in verse 7, we're also to honor and respect them. So, can we just admit that that's hard teaching? If you're, um, how many of you are history buffs? Like History Channel is your jam, right? So if you're a history buff, you probably already know this. But when Paul wrote those words, the person with the greatest authority in the world at that time, in his world at that time, was Nero. Nero um, was horrible. Just a few things that Nero did. He murdered his stepbrother, and then he murdered his wife, Octavia. He left Octavia to pursue a lover, and that lover persuaded, according to historians, persuaded Nero to kill his own mother. So he had a plan to put her in a boat that would collapse and she would drown. And it didn't work. So he had her beaten to death. Then, in a fit of rage, the lover that he left his wife for, who was then now pregnant with his son, he kicked her to death while she was pregnant with his son. Nero was so horrific in his torture of Christians that Roman citizens who didn't like Christians sympathized with Christians because of how horrible he was to them. Historians will record that he would actually set Christian bodies on fire to light up the night. 
And we read this verse and say, well, Paul doesn't know what it's like to have Trump as a president or Obama or Clinton or Bush or go back as far as you want to go. We read this with an American viewpoint. Well, God surely doesn't expect me to honor our president, whoever he or she may be. And what I'm just going to say today is that he was writing about a leader who was way worse than the leaders that we have today. I'm not going to argue that your boss isn't hard, but he's not lighting your body on fire. Well, that was probably just Paul, possibly. Except that in 1 Peter 2.17, we find these words. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Now, these words came from Peter a little bit later after Paul had written Romans 13. And he was writing about um, a, a leader, a king. His name was Domitian. Did I say that right? I think I did. Domitian. And Domitian was um, towards the end of his reign. He, had, he was so gone mentally that he demanded to be treated like a god. I think about, um, by the way, this isn't a political message. I don't really care how you voted. Best statement I've heard all week long came from Derwin Gray when he said this. Hey, Christians, don't let a donkey or an elephant make you forget that you were bought by a lamb. I don't really care how you voted. This isn't about being a certain way or a certain party. This is about understanding this, that the people in the Bible were telling us to honor leaders way worse than what we have. And that should hit us pretty hard. When I read about Domitian, I think, so, so Peter's telling us to honor a king who actually desired to be treated like a god. It makes me wonder, because look, this goes down. I don't mean this any certain way. It's just a statement of fact. Our president can put some crazy stuff on, on Twitter, right? And I read that, and I thought, holy cow, if Domitian had a Twitter account, <laughs> what would he be putting on Twitter, right? Great and marvelous, whatever, right? It's just, it's just crazy, right? And yet that's the same king that Peter just said we're supposed to honor. And that should make us stop and say to ourselves, I don't understand this, God. What exactly is happening here? And, and what, what did honor look like according to Peter? Well, if you look at verse 13, it looks like this, submission to all human authority. I told a friend of mine, well, Mike Field, he's been here. He's one of our overseers. We were talking about what I was teaching this week. And he said, oh, yeah, we did, a, we did a sermon series in Romans. I remember the Sunday I preached on Romans 13. It was really quiet. I'm sure it was. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Let's make a really important distinction, okay? And this is, you want to write this down. Submission is not obedience. Submission is an attitude, and obedience is an action. Because if you read the Bible, and I love this, if you read the Bible, what you'll find is that there are times in the Bible that Christians challenged authority. They challenged their leaders. 
Um, I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Um, how, how did they do that? In Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, here's what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, he was their authority. He was their umbrella under the umbrella. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, you jerk. Is that what it says? Your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, scum of the earth, stupid man who tweets, no, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. What I want you to see is they submitted to the authority even as they did not obey it. We recognize that you have the power to throw us into that fiery furnace. And we still, we're going to treat you respectfully. and you're, We're calling you your majesty because we serve a God who can save us from what you're going to do. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. This is people's go-to. This is, the, this is the verse that rebels get tattooed on their bodies. We must obey God rather than man. The life verse of rebels everywhere. I was one of them. But why were they saying that? Remember what he had told them to stop doing? I think he had said, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they came back and said, hold up, time out. We recognize that you have authority. I think what they actually said was, you decide among yourselves what you should do. But we've been told clearly by Jesus to preach this gospel. We have a direct command from God, and so do we. It's called a Bible. We have direct commands from God, and so we can't obey you because you're asking us to clearly violate a clear directive from God. So even then, with respect, they just said, look, we're gonna, we have to obey God rather than man, and they were willing to be punished by the leaders for that. So we got to do some practical takeaways, okay? Some practical takeaways. Here's the first one. They won't be on the screen. You can just jot them down. We can't bypass human authority and still bow to God's because that's not how God set it up. God is the ultimate authority. We know that again, Colossians 2.10, Jesus is over every ruler and every authority. And so sometimes what we try to do is we, we're under the umbrella of Jesus, and then there's all these little mini umbrellas underneath it, and we want to step around that leadership that God's placed over us in order to bow our lives to God. And that's not possible, not if we believe the Bible. Because, again, Romans 13 and 1, Peter's, 1 Peter 2 are clear that authority is put in place by God. So often, and we'll talk more about this next week, God uses leaders or authority to correct what's in our heart. And that's awful. It's, no, it's not fun. He actually uses leaders to correct what's in our hearts. And so our, our submission to authority biblically is actually submission through authority to God's authority. I'm going to bow to God. And so I'm going to trust that I'm also going to submit my life to the authorities he puts over me.
Second takeaway. Don't confront leaders you haven't prayed for. Don't confront leaders you haven't prayed for. So what I love, and we'll talk about this some more um, next week, but even in 1 Timothy, there's, a, there's a, two verses where Paul's instructing Timothy, like, you know, like, don't disrespect leadership. And in the very next verse, he says, but when you confront them, like, it's okay. It's okay to confront especially ungodly leadership. We'll get to that in a second. But, but never confront authority that you haven't prayed for. Because when we slip into the secret place and we pray about that authority, what happens? God starts to change who first? Us, right? He starts to change our heart so that we have a heart for that leader. We need God's heart for leaders before we can speak God's truth to leaders. Acts chapter 23, um, this is just an example of, of Paul. This is what it says, gazing intently at the high council, verses 1 through 5, Paul began, brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Now, he's standing, he's on trial. He's standing in front of authority. Verse 2, instantly Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to stop, to, to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. How many times have you wanted to say that in church? Right? Like next week you're going to say it to somebody. They'll be like, what are you talking about? I'm just quoting scripture. Right? <laughs> I love that. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Verse 4, here's the key verse. Those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare insult God's high priest? And look at Paul's response. Yes, I do. I've got rights. That's not what he says. I'm sorry, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest. For the scriptures say you must not speak evil of, your, of any of your rulers. There's an understanding that, wait a second, I represent Christ in this. And I trust him through this to have his way in my life. Last, last one, last takeaway. God will deal with leaders. Let him. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Um, we don't have time to go into the whole story. I've got to get this thing wrapped up. But 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 12, um, David has, this is at the end of David's little excursion away from God where he's been with Bathsheba. He got her pregnant. He killed her husband so that he could cover up his mistake and his sin. And then Nathan comes to him in chapter 12 and tells him a little story about some guy that, like, would take one person, somebody's only sheep when he had tons of sheep. And David got really, really mad. He's like, that man should be killed. And here's what Nathan said. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. You are the man. And what I want us to see is, and I've seen this in my own life, God will take care of leaders. God will cor correct authority. And sometimes he needs us to let him do that. He will send somebody at some point to look at a leader and say, you're the man. Or you're the woman. Right now, they're just like, I'm the man, right? But then it's going to be like, no, you are that man. He will correct them. Here, here's your big idea for, for today. Last week, we said if we want God's protection, we have to trust his direction. And I'm going to say this week, if we want God's protection, we have to trust his correction. 
Because usually correction comes in the flow of authority. Usually it's your boss who's telling you what you didn't do right. And it's you trying not to get defensive and explain all the reasons why your boss is wrong. But what would happen? What would happen if one day you looked at your boss and said, thank you? And they were like, for what? Because I want to look more like Jesus, and you're correcting me right now. And it's chiseling away stuff in me I don't need. You're like, dude, you don't work where I work. Well, I guess I don't. I think I serve the same God you do. The correction often comes through difficult leaders, bad bosses, godless government. Quick example from Scripture. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, God said, you will receive power and you will be my what? Witnesses where? Anybody remember? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the other parts of the end of the world, right? So Acts 1, 8, it only took them, if you reverse that from Acts 1, 8 to Acts 8, 1, it only took them seven chapters to lose sight of the mission. Now, in those seven chapters, what we know is Pentecost happened, so there was a lot of Holy Spirit going on. There was a lot of preaching going on. Thousands were being added to the church daily. So from Acts 1-8 to Acts 8-1, the church was flourishing. Mega church. Where? In Jerusalem. Where were they supposed to go? Everywhere. Acts 8-1, here's what it says. Here's what it says. Acts 8-1. It says, Saul... I'm sorry, I I put Acts 1 at here. Okay. It's 8-1. A great great wave of persecution began that day, the day after Saul witnessed the killing of Stephen. Sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of where? Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So in Acts 8.1, God sent persecution through authority, leadership, civic rulers of that land in order to correct the church because the church had gotten comfortable being a megachurch in Jerusalem when they were called to be a worldwide church. And they would have stayed in Jerusalem for who knows how long if correction had not come through authority. I ask myself, again, don't take this politically. Please don't. I'll close with a good story so we won't think about Trump. But I ask myself a lot, why is he president? And the answer I usually get from people is, well, at least Hillary's not. And if Hillary was president, I would say, why is Hillary president? Sometimes I just think God puts people in office just to expose the political idol in the church. And don't, don't even kid yourself. Man, politics is an idol in the church today. And he is using a leader to weed it out. He is correcting the body through leaders. Whether we like those leaders or not. Now I told you I'd do a good story so we could all breathe. Because I felt the air get sucked out right there. So let me tell you two things as we close up. Let me get these out of the way for you guys. All right, here we go. Two things. Number one, I am so confident and secure in who I'm called to be 
Nobody's come to me in the last two months and said something about my leadership that made me search scriptures to create a, a series so I could say this kind of stuff. Man, y'all are an easy church to lead. But I do believe this. I believe that there is truth in scripture about how we interact with delegated authority. And I think that the church turns a blind eye to it most of the time. God wants me to have my way. He knows that that leader's bad and he can't be happy with that. And I'm just humbly submitting that according to the scriptures that we've read, those leaders are not there by accident. And they're not as bad as the leaders that we've just read about. So let's wrap up with a story about how God can work through us and in our circumstances if we're willing to submit, even if it's not obey, but to submit. You can go ahead and start playing. It'll be good with music. Here we go. Everything's better with music. When I met Wendy, she fell madly in love with me. <laughs> she just didn't know it yet, right? Um, but I did. I mean, I knew. I knew it. I just knew it. And so we, um, as we kind of talked and got to know each other, we knew where we were headed. We knew we were going towards marriage. And being the good Christian kids that we were, good Christian kids. We knew that good Christians go to, I would need to go to her father and ask for his blessing, his hand in marriage, whatever you say and however you word that kind of shows our age, right? But, um, but we just knew that we needed to have him bless that marriage before I could ever propose to her. And we were ready. <laughs> like we were ready. And we were adults, like uh, 24. 324-ish. We're out of college, the whole deal. We were adults. I was a youth pastor. Like, we were doing the Christian thing. And we just knew that we needed to have his, his blessing. So, um, so I did what anybody would do. I, I prayed a quick prayer, you know, because I knew God was on my side. It's not going to be a problem at all. And um, I was living here in Albemarle, and she was living in Columbia, Irmo, actually, to be exact. So I, I drove down one weekend to Irmo. We'd been dating for probably, I don't know, like a year at that point or something. And um, I remember to this day standing in the kitchen, and he, he was not a believer. You know, he was not following Jesus at all. And um, just, a, anyway, I can't, I can't even describe him. He's just an awesome guy. Anyway, he had this habit where he would, um, he would you know, the door frame, he would, like, lean back against the door frame and scratch his back like that. I don't know if y'all do that or not, but he just had, he would do it all, like, just when he was thinking. He went, ah, you know, so... I'm in the kitchen, and he just intimidated the snot out of me. I mean, he, he just, anyway, he just had that, he just carried himself that way. And um, I was like, um, Mr. Mr. Flanders, can, can I, I just want, I, I love your daughter, and I want to marry your daughter, and I just want, I want you to say, I want you to, to bless our marriage. And he went, oh, No. Just kept, he just kept scratching his back like a bear with a tree. You know, that's kind of how he was. Just kept scratching his back. And I was, I, I didn't even, I was like, wait, wait, what? He said, no. Uh, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> I was, I thought we'd like get the quick yes to the marriage and be done. Um, but I said, well, why, why would you, why not? Why not? Because in my head, I'm thinking, I am a catch, right? Like, come on, like, look at, don't ruin this for your daughter. I mean, come on, man, right? And here's what he said. He said, I feel like a stranger is coming to take away my daughter. 
because we were doing the long distance thing and I said we can fix that and so I moved I packed all my belongings my worldly belongings into the front quarter of a $29.95 a day U-Haul and I moved to Columbia everything I had just quit my job here moved to Columbia with no job and in my head I'm thinking how long can this take right I'm going to move to Columbia. He's going to get to know me. Everybody loves me, and it's going to be great, right? So that became the summer of conquest, right? So, like, I, would, I was working for a vending company, like, 80 hours a week. It's just, it was awful, and it was Columbia. So, you know, in the summertime, it's like we have heat index here, but down there it's like they don't even say it's 100. They just say, it's yeah, it's 95 heat index, hell. It's just, it's awful, right? So I'm doing all this work, and, and I would periodically, like, go back to him and say, so, I mean, I really enjoy being around y'all, you know, and getting to know you guys, and thanks for feeding me, and can I marry your daughter? No. No. I, th- I asked him, like, weekly, no. No. And it got to the point that we were so frustrated that we came home one weekend to, to hear and I was talking to my brother-in-law, and Wendy was down on the other side of my parents' property talking to my sisters, and we both at the exact same time expressed our frustration with the situation. And we both said the same thing. We don't need his blessing. We're adults. We know God loves us, and we know that God wants us to be married. And we don't have, you know what, we're just done. We're just done. And we're going we're gonna to get married, and we're going to invite him to the wedding. And if he wants to come, great. And if he doesn't, fine. And thank God for family members who will speak truth into your life. And my sisters looked at Wendy at the same time that my brother-in-law looked at me and said, you can't do that. You're a Christian. He's not. How do you know that what you're doing right now can't influence what he does later? You've got to trust God, y'all. You've got to trust God. And so we were like, God. I mean, we're supposed to receive the Word of God with joy, but we didn't really. We were, man, thanks so much, brother. I was hitting him hard on the back, you know, hard. But we went back to Columbia, and we just kind of kept on plowing ahead. And I'll never forget, this is a little bit of a weird ending to the story, but I'll never forget one, one day I went to the bathroom, and I'm washing my hands in the bathroom, and I remember thinking about this proverb that I had read it's Proverbs 21.1. Here's what it says. The king's heart is like water in my hands. And I remember stopping. The water still running in the sink. And I just stopped. I closed my eyes. And I said, God, you can move the king's heart like water in your hands. I'm just asking God, please, will you move Mr. Flanders' heart? like water in your hands because I know you're for us and I turned the water off took a deep breath walked out and found him and I said so Mr. Flanders can I marry your daughter and he said I'll talk to her mom and that was a yes because her mom loved me I knew I was in right I knew I was in 
And he blessed the marriage, and he walked her down the aisle, and he gave her away, and we would just hang out at their house all the time. I'd throw darts on the back porch with him while he drank his drink, and I drank my drink, you know, and, and we would just hang out, and I just, I love that man. And it was years later, right before he passed away, that Wendy just got to visit with him and knew from talking to him, like, he's going to be in heaven when he dies. And I'm just telling you this, guys. If, if our response to his authority had even the smallest part to play in his eternity with Jesus, it was worth it. It was worth it. Man, our response to authority reveals our heart. It doesn't reveal how bad they are as leaders. It reveals our heart. And ultimately, it reveals our heart towards God. And that's what he wants for us. What does he want for the church in America? To reveal in our response to authority that our heart is for God, that we trust Him. That's what He wants. And so listen, if we want His protection, we have to trust His correction, even when the correction comes through vessels that we don't even like. We have to trust that He's using that to correct us and, and I love this part, He can use us to correct the leader when we've submitted our heart to the Lord. Man, what would happen? What would happen in our country if the church responded that way? What could happen to the divide we see in our country right now? Is it possible that our submission to God through leaders, even if we have to have hard conversations and not obey them, is it possible that our submission through them to God could change the divide that we see in our country? I believe that it is. I believe that it's possible. And I want to pray over you and call you to that. Will there be times that we have to look at leaders and say, hey, I'm going to obey God rather than you? Absolutely. Only if they have told you to do something that is clearly and directly against the Word of God. We don't get to say that because of our preference. We only get to say that because it's a direct violation of His Word. But we can still submit respectfully and put them in the hands of God. And what I did with her dad that day was I put him in the hands of God and said, you can change him. I think probably the best way we can respond this morning, I know that the band's going to play, I, you know, I can sit at your feet and that, that song about meeting God. I think the best thing we could do this morning probably is to close our eyes and you can come to the altar. You can turn around and make your chair an altar. You can do whatever you need to do. But maybe the way we should wrap this up is by simply saying to God, I'm willing to submit. I'm willing to submit to your leadership, even if it comes through bad leadership, because I recognize that you've placed that leadership where it is. So, Father, just right now we're asking you that you would do a heart check on us. Because I love the people that are sitting in this room, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would do right now for them what you did for Wendy and myself that day at my parents' house. That you would literally stop us short of going too far and removing the possibility of you working in that situation. Maybe in this room there are people who right now are convicted about the way that they have responded to authority in their own lives. 
things that we've said, thought, posted. And we just ask right now, in your, as your spirit is here, would you just minister to us just in these last few moments? We repent, God. We repent of stepping outside of the way that you have aligned us with authority. And we trust you, God. We trust you. We trust you to talk to the king so we can honor the king. We trust you to take care of leadership. We pray for our bosses, God. We pray for our teachers. We pray for our leaders. We pray for men and women who have authority over us who don't know you. Man, God, my prayer is that they would see us step out of a fire just like Nebuchadnezzar saw those three Hebrew children step out and his comment was, your God will be my God. Man, I'm praying that, Father, that a church's response could sway the hearts of people in positions of authority because they've been placed there by you for our good. And we trust you and your hand Move them like water, we pray. In your name, Jesus.